Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 20 of the podcast and thank you so much for joining us for it because it's going to be a good one. We've got a repeat guest for the first time ever, a second appearance, and it'll be my good friend Corey Pronman who is back with me to talk about the 2022 NHL draft class at this very, very early stage. But with it being episode 20, with this being such a prospect-centered podcast, I had to bring in my good pal Corey because he actually went to the Holinka Gretzky Cup, one of the few members of the media that was on site for the event. And uh, Corey, of course, covers prospects in the NHL draft and so much more for the athletic. And, uh, you know, it was great to have him on to get his perspective from from seeing these players. And, you know, we certainly have our, our lists out already for our, our quote unquote way too early lists that we do often. I have my 2022 list out on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters, of course, and that is HockeySense.Substack.com. Um, you can take a look at that. Shane Wright is a, the odds-on favorite to be the number one pick, the most likely to go wire-to-wire wire as the number one guy. Uh, he has been hyped up for, for several years, one of those players that has exceptional status. So Corey and I will talk about Shane Wright a bit. We'll talk about some of the other uh, group, the other guys in the group that we talked about. Um, you know, in terms of the 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 next wave of players after Wright, because it is a very interesting mix, and there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion about it. I pretty much talked with Corey uh, for about a half hour, and we kind of covered various segments of the 2022 class. We covered guys that were at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, some guys that were not, uh, some players of intrigue that I thought would be worth talking about with Corey as well. Um, so you'll get a sense of of kind of what he's. Uh, been uh, what he's got going on uh, in terms of how he thinks of things. And I will also talk a bit about what I've got going uh, in terms of how I'm thinking of things. So uh, a lot to get to today, but really glad that that Corey could join me for the podcast. Now, before we get into that interview uh, between me and Corey, which is a little less debatey than last time, unfortunately, just, uh, just because we didn't have the time to really dive in and argue with each other, um, we, I, I want you to definitely take uh, take some time to go back, listen to the original episode that I did with Corey way back. Uh, I think it was episode two of the podcast, um, and you can hear a little bit about his career and his winding path to get where he is, um, and get a little sense of his process as well. Uh, so definitely go back and hit up the archives for all the shows. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Talking Hockey Sense. Leave us a five star rating. Leave us a positive review. Um, it helps get the, the, the podcast promoted. I'm going to keep it rolling here. I'm not exactly sure how many more I'll do between now and the beginning of the season. Uh, I'm going to take a little break after this one and kind of get the guest list populated a bit more for the coming weeks and months as we get ready for the 2021-22 season. Uh, but definitely check that out. And if you can hook us up with a, with a kind rating and a kind review, it really does help the podcast and and also the best way to support the podcast if you haven't yet is to subscribe to hockey sense with chris peters on substack that's hockey there is a 
2022 draft ranking. I have the top 10 and then I have a, about 20 other players that I've highlighted as players to watch. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be first rounders, but they're guys that have interested me and, and that I think have uh, a good amount of talent. So um, we'll, we'll talk about those guys as well in the, over the course of this episode. Um, not all of them, but we'll get to a great many of them as we talk about this class that's upcoming. Another thing I wanted to bring up quick is it is Women's World Championship Week. You can watch all of Team USA's games on NHL Network. Uh, the Women's World Championship will begin on Friday, August 20th, and Team USA is looking to win its sixth consecutive Women's World Championship, which does not seem real, but that's the way it's been. And obviously, uh, you go back to 2010, and Canada won the 2010 and 2014 Olympics. USA won the 2018 Olympics, and we're heading straight for the 2022 Olympics, a crash course, and it'll be inside a bubble in Calgary. This has been a postponed event. It was supposed to happen in, in May. It did not um, due to COVID continuing to destroy everything that is good here. Um, and this time we'll get in a bubble. They have all taken their tests. They've gone through mandatory quarantines. Everybody has tested negative. It looks like all systems go. So you, if you want to see the elite women's hockey players in the world, Definitely check out the Women's World Championship. As I mentioned, it is going to be on NHL Network throughout the entire course of the tournament. It is the last major event, major international event, that will be taking place before the Winter Olympics, which will be in Beijing, which is less than six months away or about six months away, which is just absolutely incredible to think about at this point. Um, but definitely keep an eye on that as... There is a lot to look at in terms of Team USA with a lot of turnover, a lot of change. There, you know, some of the stars from previous years are no longer there, but many of the stars that you know and love still are there. Hillary Knight and Amanda Kessel and Kendall Coyne Schofield and a whole cast of others as Team USA looks to win its sixth consecutive Women's World Championship. And we will have more coverage of that on Hockey Sense. All right. Without further ado, it's time to send it over to my interview with my good friend and fellow prospect analyst, Corey Promen of The Athletic. I'm pleased to be joined today by Corey Promen, a repeat guest, the first ever repeat guest in the history of Talking Hockey Sense, so you know that this is good and that his last performance was admirable at, at least. So Corey uh, of the Athletic, a fellow draft and prospect guy, if you will, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. Welcome back, I should say. Thank you, Chris. I'm honored to be your first repeat guest, as you should be. Um, all right, so we are going to talk today about the 2022 draft because I mean, you know, you were at the the Holinka Gretzky Cup. I was not. I watched it on video. Um, but you know, certainly that is going to be uh, something that looms large in the very early stages of this draft class. There were other players that we've both seen at, at, at events recently, like the world under 18s as well, which we can get into. But, uh, before we get into that, um, you know, just to close the book a little bit further on the 2021 draft, uh, as well, because I think that, that that's, uh, that's important, I suppose. Um, we're seeing a lot of players getting signed already, but the two that have not yet signed, Owen Power and Maddie Beneers, um, more than likely it sounds like they'll be heading back uh, to school. So I guess what's your take on on their readiness and or not readiness and, and the potential decision that both of them face as we head into the late stages of summer here? I thought Beneers needed another year of college, so I don't think it's. I think it's completely expected for him to go back. And um, like he had, a, he had a he had a really nice year in college. Obviously, good World Juniors and so so World Championships before he got injured. But uh, I I would say you want him to go back and be a top top player in college, not just a good college player, but but go back, you know, be a leading player on what we expect will be a very good college team, make a deep playoff run play a major role for USA at the world juniors. Uh, I think that's a uh, perfectly reasonable thing for him to do after watching him at the world championships. I thought Owen power looked NHL ready. Uh, I would say he, he, it would be 50, 50 for me with him on whether I would stick him in the lineup right away. Uh, but from a team building perspective and from a development perspective, uh, when we all kind of know where Buffalo was going this season, 
uh, it's it's right to the bottom. Uh, and it's unfortunate for, for Sabres fans who are in rebuild version 3.0 or 4.0 at, at this stage and rebuilds can be messy. You've seen, you know, over the decade organizations like Columbus or Florida that just take so long to get back to respectability. And, and it seems like Buffalo's just entering another phase of this. Uh, but given that, you know, they just traded Sam Reinhart, they just traded Rasmus Ristolain and they didn't bring in much, you know, much back in terms of present day players uh, over the off season. And uh, Jack Eichel is still part of the team. We presume at some point he won't be, we don't know when that will be. Uh, they're going to lose a lot of games next season. Doesn't mean they're going to get Shane Wright, but we think they're going to lose a lot of games next season. So if Owen Power hasn't been, you know, a dominant college player yet, he hasn't played in a world juniors yet. He has, you know, expressed that he would like to get the college experience. I don't see a problem with him just not going through what's going to be a very difficult season for Buffalo. Um, develop at Michigan, sign in the spring, get a couple of games in, and then come in as a 20-year-old and be ready to be a good, a better pro than he would have been this season. Yeah, I I, I agree too. I, I just yeah, I think that the the situation that a player comes into can can be very important for their overall development. And it's not going to be a great situation to come into. I do. I think Owen power has the mentality and the, the maturity to handle it. But I, I mean, why, when you can play at Michigan for another year and it, potentially it, make a it, run, it, it benefits both sides. Cause you know, right. he would, he would get to, I think develop better than playing, you know, 20, whatever minutes a night on a team that's going to get absolutely steamrolled um, in terms of possession. And from a Buffalo's perspective, it saves you a year in the entry level deal. And, yeah. you know, you know, realistically, after trading those guys and likely trading Eichel soon, that this team is not going to be competitive for a long time. You're talking at least four, maybe five or six years if things go well in the rebuild before they're back to respectability. Uh, so if you can save a little bit of extra service time on, on power, it makes a lot of sense from Buffalo's perspective, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you know, the, the other thing too, that I just wanted to get your quick take on with the 2021 draft is the, the number of guys that have signed, we've seen a lot of Europeans sign their deals already. Um, you know, do you think coming into the season with the, you know, we, we, there's still uncertainty in terms of what's going to happen with this coming season and when it's going to start, where it's going to start, if there are going to be stops and starts in other places. Um, do you think the teams are just basically trying to position themselves to, to have kind of a backup plan with these contracts, or do you think it's just the normal, normal run of business where, you know, they're, they're signing their contracts. They might be in training camp. They're more likely going to be loaned back to their, their current clubs. Um, uh, you know, just, I, I know like in, in William Eklund's case, San Jose is planning to bring him into the camp and then they're going to have a discussion with, um, uh, you know, with, with Jew garden to see what they want to do after that. So I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's the latter. I just think given how close we were to the signing deadline, it probably can't say it felt like, like it happened a lot quicker than it usually would, but uh, yeah, that's true. these guys, these guys need to be signed by August 15th in order for the deal to be valid. Otherwise they got to wait till the following uh, spring in terms of Eklund, like you said, that's the one where I think San Jose is going to have have a legitimate discussion on whether he's going to play with them or not uh, this season. And I and I'm not sure if he will, but it, but his training camp will dictate that. Uh, and it, it wouldn't surprise me to have for him to have a long preseason, maybe even get a game or two. It wouldn't be unreasonable, I would say, but it'll depend on how his his camp goes for sure. Otherwise, because I don't think Edmondson signed, did he? No. No, no, he did not. So yeah, I think it's just other than that, I would say it's rather typical. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now we're going to move on to the 2022 draft and, and this is largely going to be considered the Shane Wright draft. Um, you know, I think that he's, he's kind of established himself as the number one guy. There are certainly a lot of good players in this class, players that are interesting. Um, you know, I think it's too early to say one way or the other, if it's a strong class or a weak class or whatever you want to call it, because let's face it. There are a lot of players that didn't play their OHL rookie season. There's, you know, there's a players that have had minimal games or, or, or few, if any. So we're, we're dealing with a totally different situation than we were with this season. Um, but Shane Wright is a guy that, you know, he didn't play the season, but he did play in the under 18 world championship. And for a guy that didn't play all season, he certainly didn't look bad at that. Um, in fact, looked very good. So, uh, 
is it the Shane Wright draft for you? Is it as, as, as wide a gap between him and the next tier for you or, or how do you feel about him? Yeah, I would say it's a decent gap. I think what's going to be the discussion with Wright is just going to be over the course of the season, gauging just how good he is, you know, is he, is he like an Austin Matthews level prospect or is he closer to like an Alexi Lafreniere uh, level prospect or like a Taylor Hall level prospect? Yeah, those are the things we're going to have to figure out uh, over the course of the next, uh, uh, over the next six or so months. Uh, and obviously Lafreniere and Hall are wingers, but I just mean in terms of like, is he just a really good player or is this like a, you know, a, you know, a potential like elite NHL player? I, I've like 50, 50 on it from what I've seen of him over the last few years um and like i said I, but he's i would say in terms of this draft class he's distinguished himself i think it's him and then there's like a big blob of guys and it's probably like about eight to ten names i would say some people might have different names in there but i think most people will have roughly the same a group of names in there but i would say he's distinguished himself um because of the toolkit because of his performance and because he plays a premium position at center uh where uh, there are some other intriguing centers at the top of the draft and some intriguing defensemen, but I wouldn't say any of the guys who could be in discussion for second, third, fourth overall pick uh, are either at a premium positions or have risen to the level to which they can challenge. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, I think that that's, uh, that's a pretty fair assessment. I, I, I'm, I'm, I am intrigued by the next blob of guys because I think it's going to shift over time as the season wears on here. And you know, I, I want to focus on the guys that you just saw recently uh, at the at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and and certainly I think the next guy that that a lot of us are going to be looking at um, for the potential to not necessarily challenge right so much as be in that neck and contention for that next tier is Ivan Rashashenko from Russia, um, who you know was supposed to come to the U.S. was supposed to play for Muskegon last year, didn't get the visa, ends up signing with Omsk in the KHL, um, so. It's uh, it's uh, a tough, you know, kind of a tough situation for him in terms of, you know, his plan has changed, but it's probably going to be all right for him based on, you know, where he's going to play. But you just got to see him at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. He was a he was a star player. He was the captain of Team Russia that won won the tournament. What are your your initial thoughts of him based on what you saw at the Under 18 Worlds and then at the Holinka Gretzky Cup? Yeah, I thought he was excellent, the Holinka, but I, I would also not say he was so excellent to where I thought he separated himself from the blob of players that I mentioned before. I actually thought as under 18, as an underage, his, that, that performance was actually more impressive, I thought, than the Holinka, just given that he was uh, one of the younger players there and uh, was arguably one of Russia's best players on a team that came about a goal or two away from winning, winning it all. Um, Marostachenko is a really well-rounded player. Uh, I don't know if he'll be the best in the draft at any one thing, uh, but I think he's just this good skater, really high skill level. He can make plays. He has a really good shot. He's physical. He's competitive. Uh, there's a lot of things about him that are very attractive. And I can, you know, we'll see how his season goes. He's in a KHL camp right now with Avangard. Uh, we'll, we'll see whether he starts with the big club or, or not. I could definitely see him playing with the big club for, for large stretches of this season and being part of Russia's under 20 team as well later this season. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I didn't feel like I watched with the Holinka that I felt like he dominated that he just like took over a game uh, the way, the way Mott did at times. Uh, but I still, still thought he was he was excellent, one of the best players there. And if you're looking at the age group as a whole, you know, minus Canada and the NTDP, he he's definitely a guy that stood out like a sore thumb. I'm like, oh yeah, he's one of the top guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another couple of the the guys that I think are have created a lot of intrigue in this draft, not just because of who they are, but where they come from, is a couple of Slovakians that were part of the team that that made a surprise run to the to the championship. And you know, we've got probably one of the best Slovakian under 18 teams, um, you know, that we've seen since we've been doing this, I think, uh, you know, just in terms of pure talent and that's uh, uh, Simon Nemitz and Uri Slavkovsky. And those two guys are legit. Would you, would you consider them as part of that, uh, that blob that we're, that we're, that we're crudely calling the next tier of players? Um, and, and what did you see at the tournament that allowed them to, if they are in that, to, to be part of that group? Yeah, I would say both are uh, 
probably Slavkovsky more than Nemich at this point. If you had to like ask me how certain I am that I'll fit in there, uh, I think Slavkovsky just has so many NHL assets. He's whatever, 6'3", 6'4". He's a good skater for that size, really skilled. Uh, he's competitive, has a great shot. Uh, you know, he's, it, it's hard to not imagine him becoming a top six four in the NHL. Will be a second line, will be a first line, will be an upper echelon first line. You know, time will tell on that. But he just he has all the qualities you want in, in an ideal top forward prospect. Uh, Nemich, I think, will need to have a really strong season, which I can highly expect he will. He had an amazing year in Slovakia last year, and he's expected to play big roles for. The international teams at the junior, potentially at the men's level, they're gonna. Mm-hmm. I think both of them are gonna play at the Olympic qualifiers for Slovakia in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, so I, you know, he's a really intriguing player. I think his hockey sense is really, really high end. I think he's a good skater. He has some offense. He can defend. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect comp, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of Cam York, right? A right mm-hmm. shot Cam York, who who went in the teen early teens. Uh, so he's a guy that because he's played pro, maybe that elevates him a little bit more because you get the assurances of what he can do versus men. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think he's he's definitely in that grouping along with Slavkowski. Okay, very good. Yeah, well, that's uh, you know there there were a lot of solid players, a lot of 2023 guys. You know, as you mentioned, Mitchkov. There were there were others in the in the tournament as well. Um, but the one one last guy that I want to talk about the Holink, this particular Holinka is Joaquin Kamel or Joachim mm-hmm. Kamel, uh, where, you know, we got another last year, there were no Finnish players selected in the first round or 20, not last year, just a couple of weeks ago, there were no Finnish players selected in the first round. Um, you know, he looks like he has the tools and we, we obviously expect Brad Lambert to be in the, in the first round as well. We'll get to him in one second, but, uh, Kamel was one of those guys who, who I thought, you know, had really nice flashes in that tournament as he did at the under 18 worlds. I just wonder your thoughts on on what you saw from him at the Holinka Gretzky Cup? Yeah, no, I mean, you, when you watched uh, Finland, I think I saw their team play at least three times at, at that tournament, and when when he when they were playing, he just stood out like so clearly among that group of players, uh, just because he had you know so many dimensions to how he could he could create offense. A uh, really good skater, he was really you know really skilled. He was making plays. His shot was a threat from distance. And even away from the puck, I thought he was physical. He competed well for pucks, uh, just found a way to keep maintaining possession whenever he was on the ice and uh, to separate himself with his speed and his skill. Uh, he's, he's a really strong prospect. Where exactly he fits in the draft, you know, that'll be a thing we got to figure out now over the, over, over the coming season. Uh, he definitely looked like a first rounder to me, whether it's a late first rounder, whether it's a high first rounder, uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think he'll play pro this season at times, maybe even go long stretches with, with JYP along, along with Brad Lambert, uh, should he stay in Finland. And, and, and I think that we'll, you know, we'll learn a lot from him at that level. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, boy, and he had some, just some absolutely violent goals, <laughs> just the shots that he was ripping at that tournament. It was, it was fun to see. Um, you know, the, the team that wasn't there, obviously the U.S. doesn't send their, their NTDP players, but you and I had a chance to see Logan Cooley at the at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He's a really interesting player. Um, you know, we saw him at the Under-18 Worlds as well. There's a lot to like about his game. Um, but would you say at this point he's the top American eligible for uh, for this draft? Yeah, and I, I can't really see anybody that – that's particularly close to him right Agreed. now, to be, to be quite yeah. honest. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a whole season left to play. We'll see who from the NTDB plays well. We'll see who from the USHL uh, plays well. But uh, kind of like I said earlier in the conversation, when there's a lot of the top guys, uh, we don't really know who the next best center is. You know, Brad Lambert and Matt Savoy are, are listed as centers and have played centers at various times in their lives. Uh I'm not finding a lot of NHL scouts who are going to tell me that Brad Lambert's an NHL center. And I find some, but few, but still not a ton who say that Savoy will be an NHL center. Yeah. Uh, but I think you find those who say Logan Cooley will, could be a top two line NHL center and has the potential to play, you know, to play big minutes down the middle in the NHL, despite his size. And, and for that reason, and as well for the fact that he's really talented and competitive player, great speed, great great playmaking ability 
and has continued to just play better as his NTDP days have gone along. You know, this is a guy who I think can, you know, put himself in a position to go really high in the draft. And by really high, I'm, you know, definitely saying top 10 and I, and I wouldn't rule him out as a top five candidate depending on how his season and others, others go just because he plays uh, the center position so well. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated to see. I mean, I think he's a, I think he really solidified himself as, as a world junior candidate at that camp. And if he gets that opportunity, that's going to be huge for him. Yeah, I mean, and premium positions are go really early in the draft. Right, Def- right. Defense and centers. You kind of saw this year with Beniers. Um, you know, it went Power, Beniers, McTavish. Uh, four was Luke. And then five was uh, Kent. Uh, Ken Johnson yeah, and six right. was Edmondson. Uh, so you, you kind of saw that yep. theme where the, the, the top centers and the top defensemen in any given draft usually go extremely quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you touched on him. I just want to get to him quickly here. You know, Matt Savoy was, was viewed as at, at a time was viewed on, on par with Shane, Wright. I think that that's, there's been a significant separation there. And then Brad Lambert was also a guy that I think a lot of us have said, Hey, maybe he could compete for that spot. I'm less confident that either of them can, I, you know, I, I don't think that they will compete with, with Shane Wright for top spot, but they're still top prospects. So I just wonder, you know, based on what we saw, we, we saw Lambert at the world junior summer showcase. We've seen Savoy play at the USHL um, this past season. Um, I happened to be at a game where he scored a hat trick and, you know, he's, he's got some really electric skill. Lambert has electric skating. I mean, they're, they're, they have some similarities and, and differences, but I wonder, you know, when you're talking about those two players, what do you think are, are the standout traits for them and ver, against each other? Cause I think that, that they'll be compared and contrasted a lot this year. Yeah. I think Savoy is an excellent prospect. Uh, there wasn't, uh, I wasn't at the camp, but talking to scouts who were at Canada's under 18 camp, uh, they thought he was really good. They didn't say they came away saying this guy is like a no doubt, a top three, top five pick, but they said he was, a uh, he was, he was really good. Uh, he's not a perfect comp for me, but he, there is some similarities between him and Cole Perfetti for me in terms of yeah. just being extremely skilled, extremely intelligent. Uh, and the skating at the size is going to be the debate, I think, with him all season in terms of the range in which we discuss him in the draft, also depending on how his season in Winnipeg goes. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of what you're getting. Him. He's, the, he's the pure skill playmaking guy who also can shoot it in this draft, but lacks the ideal athletic assets that you'd like in, in a top NHL prospect. And Brad Lambert for me is just going to be consistency um, because I think he has dynamic qualities. Like you said, tremendous skater, really high skill level. I think he can see it and move the puck around and be, you know, a playmaker off the flank and, and score. He has tremendous assets, but there's just sometimes where you watch him and he's a game breaker. And there are some games where you just never notice him on the ice uh, for, for long stretches. And I think that's going to be the thing, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that aspect of his game goes over the course of the season. Uh, but, but he's the talent level is very exciting. And it's why he's been talked about so highly for so long. Uh, but I, he's a guy who I can see getting past if he doesn't have a, a big season and, 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 you know, bring a consistent effort every night. Yeah. It seems like we, you know, these, we, we look at Atu Ratu and all these guys, these Finnish guys that have in the system, they've played at the world juniors, they played at the under 18s. They have all these big moments as underagers. And then you, you know, you get to the draft year and you're just like, need to see it, need to well, see it. And there's yeah. been, there's been Labber and, and, and Ratu would be the skating Ratu. Oh, I think for it was sure. the season and his skating concern people. I, right. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say Lambert's not going to go in the first round. I think he'll still be a high first round <laughs> yeah. pick. Right, um, right, right. But, right. I, but in terms of where he fits, where, you know, I'm not, I, I am definitely not sold that he's a no doubt top five guy. You know, yeah, he, I, he could, he could, he could be a top five guy if he has a good, really, really good year. And I think he definitely could have a really good year, but, but he's not a no doubter. He's going to have to prove it all season. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I know we got to get out of here in a minute, but I just wanted to quickly touch on one guy that we both like a lot that is going to be, very interesting to see where he ultimately slots in this whole thing. And that is Lane Hudson, who is a five foot six defenseman. Is he five foot six? Well, five, seven listed, I think. 
I was going to say, you know, you know, the the interesting thing he is, he is, he looks younger than Johnny Goudreau did in his draft season. Um, Like that's the thing. So I'm, I'm curious to see if Lane will gain an inch or two as the NTDP makes their measurements uh, when the players report. So uh, we'll have to see, but Lane Hudson is a, a super intriguing player. He had five assists at the world under 18s as an underage defenseman, really, established himself there took more and more time um but he's he is a five foot six defenseman and it's you know there are a few players that are going to be as dynamic a puck moving player as he can be uh in this draft especially on the blue line so I just wonder you know knowing that we both like this player how how do we you know let's say he doesn't grow um is there a place for a player like him in the NHL I mean the lazy comp will be you know that he plays like like Fox and I, and I worry after Fox just won the North that every small, highly skilled defenseman who doesn't skate incredibly well, people are going to say, Oh, well, he could be Adam Fox, which, you know, would be, you know, winning the North trophy would, would be a really high bar. Uh, but I, I think when you have a certain exceptional level of puck moving ability, where it's not just really good sense and skill, it's it's elite combination of, of sense and skill that I think you there could be there's a place on your on a list for for a guy like that even if he's five six five seven and a, not an amazing skater for that size so you look at that guy and you wonder you know can he defend in the NHL can he skate pucks out of trouble in the NHL you know how far will his hockey sense carry him you know you know he's, he's and that's the kind of guy who whenever you talk to scouts about these kind of players who are small unamazing skaters like kind of like an aforementioned Perfetti and, and, and now a Hudson and, a, and Adam Fox was the same way, you mm-hmm. know, every single time they've got to prove it. They've got to go to the international level and prove it. They got to go to college and prove it. Then they got to go country to the American league and then to the NHL and prove it. Johnny Gaudreau was the same way, you know, right. Even after his first college season, people were saying, yeah, you know, we'll see, you know, let's see how he does, you know, the world juniors. Let's see how he does in the, you know, in the pros. Uh, so and sometimes those guys don't work out. You know, I just mentioned the, the ones that do work out. There aren't many examples of guys who just it doesn't work. They, they right. you ask them to prove it and they don't prove it and they just toil away in the American League. But but Hudson, yeah, like you said, I think in terms of pure offensive ability at defense, this is not like Sean Barron's, who had a lot of offensive ability, but it wasn't like dynamic ability. This right. is what we're talking about with Hudson, where it's a little, where it's different, where it's a, where it's a great hire. And whether that grade makes him a teens guy, a twenties guy, whether he goes outside the first round, it will depend on how his season goes. But, but given how, what he showed last season through his NTDP games, and particularly, like you said, his under 18 worlds, where he stepped in like, like few defensemen we've seen in, in the time of watching team USA uh, where a 16 year old steps in and is in their be- and is their best defenseman. That's a, it's, it's highly unusual. Yeah, I, I can't remember it happening. Now, yeah. if Luke was there, we expect he would have been their best defenseman, but right, he wasn't. Right. So he needed to play a bigger role, and he succeeded in doing he so. He did. Uh, yeah. So so we'll see how the season goes, but for now, I think he's rated the first round player. Some scouts I talk to agree. Some scouts disagree because of the skating issues. Uh, but he'll be a, a player that I expect will be debated a lot in the coming months. Yeah, he's going to be absolutely fascinating to follow. I personally can't wait to see you know how the season progresses for him. All right, well, we got a lot, uh, a lot. You know, the the prospect season never stops. So I assume that someday I'll have you on again, and you could be my first three time guest. But to be my first two time guest, I'm so thankful that you could join me and, and, and grace us with your expertise. Um, uh, from the Holinka Gretzky Cup and beyond, uh, but Corey, thanks so much for for being on Talking Hockey Sense, and uh, let's uh, let's have a good season, huh? All right, I'll see you around, Chris. Thank you. Once again, my thanks to Corey Promen for joining me. Always great to get his insight, especially coming out of that Holinka Gretzky Cup, which again was won by Russia, Slovakia finalist there. No Canada this year, which was a a bit of an interesting wrinkle, but. They did have an under-18 camp along with their U-20 camp. And uh, as Corey mentioned, Matt Savoy and others you know, performed in that camp and were able to um, you know, showcase themselves for, for scouts that were Canadian-based and also for Hockey Canada as they try to make the, the teams. They still will compete in the 
under 18 world championship, which will be in the spring. Um, whoever's available, depending on how the CHL seasons go. Um, so that's kind of where the season goes uh, and ends uh, typically, you know, with, with that. And then uh, we hope we'll have a Memorial Cup this year after you know, two years with no Memorial Cup. So we'll see where things go from here. But the 2022 draft is going to be interesting. As we talked about, you know, Seth R- Shane Wright is going to be a huge part of the entire conversation all the way through, um, you know, some of the things that we didn't talk about, but I'll mention now is, you know, Shane Wright had just a tremendous uh, rookie season, in the OHL, and he's going to have that advantage over so many of his, his peers at his age group, because as we mentioned, there's no OHL season last year. And so players that were either late birth dates that, you know, or guys like Shane Wright that got to play a year early have a rookie season as a body of work. You know, guys like Danny Jilkin, who's, uh, you know, a very talented player that very well could be in the mix for the first round is, is a late birthday who did have a, an OHL rookie season. So there's some amount of a body of work in Shane Wright's body of work. He had one of the best 15 year old seasons in the history of the, of the OHL, which, you know, is, is a great piece to have. And then he also had his standout performance for Canada in a gold medal effort at the world under 18 championship in the spring where he was the captain. He did miss two games. He played through injury. Um, and as I wrote in my, my profile of him, you know, his 80% or, or less because of injury and illness at the world under 18 was better than most other players. 100%. So um, pretty impressive player, a guy that I think we're going to talk a lot more about over the course of this year and, and certainly excited to do that. What'll be interesting now is as we have the issues with the Delta variants with you know, vaccination rates being what they are with all these other things that are unfortunately taxing our health system once again, um, you know, how is that going to impact negatively or positively, or, you know, it's probably not going to be a positive impact, our our ability to have a normal season. Um, You know, all the dates are set, rosters and and schedules are, are, are beginning to take shape, schedules mostly set for all leagues and teams. Um, we expect to have some sort of, of, of situation. The WHL announced that all players that play in the WHL next season are going to be required to be vaccinated. A big reason for that, cross-border travel. Um, and in most cases, particularly in Canada, if you want to cross the border, you're going to have to show proof of vaccination. The WHL is, you know, has teams in the U.S., has teams in Canada. They, they expect to be able to play beyond divisional play. Um, so, you know, so they need to have those vaccinations done. Now the vaccination topic is a hot button issue, obviously. I mean, we talk about it every day now, but clearly if these leagues want to have some semblance of a season, it's going to become a requirement. And, you know, unlike in the NHL, the NHL cannot compel the players to be vaccinated without first collectively bargaining that with the NHLPA. And I just don't know if we're going to get to that point. So it's something to keep in mind, something to think about as we go forward. But a lot left to happen, a lot left to learn. We certainly hope that we're going to have a normal season. We hope that Shane Wright gets a full year in the OHL. We hope that there aren't going to have to be alternative plans and Canadians playing in Europe again and, and, and everything else. There's a lot that needs to be sorted out. But what we do know is that we're at least on track at this point with all the rosters and schedules and everything, you know, being made to have a, 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 a fairly normal season. It's normal in one sense in that the, the amount of games will be the same and all that. But the thing that is concerning to me is the players that didn't have a place to play last year, the players that were basically having to train on their own and have to do all this other stuff. What is that lost year of development going to mean? And we think about that too, for drafted players and guys that are trying to find spots now, uh, but we, we think about that. And so that's really where this season will continue to be unique against other draft seasons because of the lack of, of, of the ability to play in a preceding year. So you look at all those OHL rookies that had nowhere else to go. What do they, you know, what do they look like without that year, that crucial year of, of getting their feet wet in the OHL? Are they going to be able to put their first, their, their best foot forward what is the rest of the league going to look like? Because we're talking about a lot of players that missed a year of development. So um, just very, there's so much unknown yet about where we're at as 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 everything goes here. But we'll have to keep an eye on, on it all. And I will certainly be tracking it on Hockey Sense. And we'll be talking about it on this podcast. But boy, it sure would be nice to be able to get to a point where we're not having to talk about this all the time. But it just really doesn't feel all that close now, does it? And with all that said, there's plenty more that we can look into in this draft class. A lot of players that did play 
And one of those teams was the National Team Development Program's under-17 team, those players now moving to the under-18 team, as we talked about earlier with Corey. Logan Cooley looking like the top American player currently playing at the uh, National Team Development Program will be a member of that U18 team, as is Lane Hudson. I think another there are several players that are going to be worth noting, knowing about for this year's draft. And, you know, the the next the, the guy that I think after Cooley that probably has the biggest opportunity to to kind of step out and and kind of be recognized in this class is Isaac Howard, who's uh, another NTDP guy, just really, you know, talented offensively, played in the under 18 world championship. I think he's got a high end skill set. Um, you know, good creativity. He's headed to the University of Minnesota Duluth, and he's one of those guys that, um, you know, I'll be interested to see kind of where he is from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, because I think last year, he, he's had a lot of hype on him going back to the Youth Olympics, and, and the Youth Olympics is a U16 tournament that's played um, every couple of years, and, you know, there have been some some really great performances, and then a lot of players will 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 do great at that, and you you almost never hear from them again. Uh, one of the guys that was really good at that event a couple of years ago was Ivan Marashchenko, who we talked about. But Ike Howard was really one of the guys that that stepped out, had seven goals in that tournament, and he has continued to get better since then. Um, so you know he's a, a Minnesota native, and, and as I mentioned, a Minnesota Duluth commit. Maybe one of the top guys to commit to Minnesota Duluth in terms of high-end prospects in some time because I do think he's going to be a high pick this year. One of the things that that really stood out to me about his season last year as a U-17 is that he averaged a point, 1.18 points per game in the USHL specifically in games against the USHL, whether he was playing with the U-18 team or the U-17 team because he did get called up and did play in the world under-18s. And that 1.18 points per game was the best per game average by any USHL player under the age of 17 last season. Uh, and that includes Savoy, who had 1.12 points per game for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. So that's a pretty impressive mark for Howard um, in in his U17 team season. And, you know, you look at a lot of the guys that have, have played in the league and, and have produced at a, at a very high clip um, in that at that level. And Howard actually ranks fourth if you in it with a minimum of 15 games played the only players that averaged a higher point per game at it as a u17 in that league are jack hughes thomas vanek and andrei svechnikov so that's a pretty elite company that ike howard is in uh, in terms of being a 16 year old in the ushl producing at that rate um and that is pretty Pretty lofty company. I mean, and and to be fair, Jack Hughes averaged two points per game as a U17. Vanek averaged 1.45 points per game. And Svechnikov, 1.21 points per game. So there's a bit of a gap between him and that next level. But in 28 games played, that's a pretty incredible mark. So something something to think about when you're thinking about American players. Because I do think Ike Howard is a really interesting prospect for this year. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of how he progresses. But keep that name in the back of your mind based on what he did as a U17. I think the one of the other things that is going to be interesting about this draft is is just the the number of players um, that that come from Europe and 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 how they're going to be able to progress. You know, a lot of those players were, as I mentioned, you know, the, a lot of North Americans didn't have the same opportunities as some of the European counterparts, but you also have to keep in mind that Sweden had their U-20 season cut short, their U-18 season cut short, same thing happened in Finland. So there weren't enough places for these guys to go. Some of them might have played in third division pro or some of these other options, but not all of them had that option. So the you look at, there, there are quite a few Russian players that I think are, are high-end prospects for this year's draft. And, and we mentioned Marashashenko, but one that we didn't talk about with, with Corey Pronman um, and I know that he is a big fan of this player as well in terms of where he ranks in this this draft class. But that's Danila Yurov. And Yurov played for the under-18 World Championship team for, for Russia this year. But he's a late 2003, so he did not play in the Holinka Gretzky Cup. We believe that he's going to end up playing most of the season for Magnitogorsk in the, the KHL. And if he gets that opportunity, it's going to be quite 
quite a feat for him. Now, Yurov is a very exciting, talented player. He's he's not a huge guy, but he's strong. He plays strong. He's got speed. He's got skill. Um, he was at times physically dominant, I thought, at the World Under-18 Championship just because he had that pro-level mentality. He spent most of last season, or at least half of last season, in the U-20 level and averaged over a point per game um, in the MHL last year. He gets called up, plays for Metallurg in the KHL, scored a goal, had an assist you know, in 21 games, and then he also became the second youngest player ever to score a goal in the world or in the KHL playoffs. So pretty impressive there. And then he went and had 11 points at the World Under 18 Championship where he was a top player. So I look at him as a guy that could very well be a top three player for this class. It kind of depends on how he progresses this season. The assumption is that after playing half a season in the KHL last year, he's probably going to play meaningful KHL games this year at the age of 17. He won't turn 18 until December. So he's a late 2003, but that's another name to kind of keep in the mix. And and we know that Russia, you know, powered through, they had one of the most complete seasons of, of anybody. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard some of the, the Russians jokingly say, and probably only half jokingly say, that COVID doesn't really matter to them. Um, but, you know, it, it seems that way. Uh, and they press through. And, I mean, you look at a guy like Yurov, and he played 44 games last season in just the regular season, not including playoffs and the under-18 world. So, you know, he had a significant number of games played last season. And how does that give him an advantage over other players. That's something that I think we're going to continue to monitor as the, the season goes forward. So we we talked a little bit about some of the guys from Slovakia. I did want to also mention a very interesting player from the Czech Republic, and that's David Juracek, who's a defenseman who played at the World Under-18s last year for the Czech Republic. Ended up getting hurt, so he only played in the preliminary round, and, and the Czechs had a, had a decent team. They were moderately competitive. They had some really... Uh, tough games in there, but what I always noticed in those games was that when Juracek was on the ice, they were so much better as a team because he was able to control so much from the back end, and he's a six foot three right shot defenseman, so obviously that jumps out at teams right away. Um, he had nine points in the Czech Pro League last season, um, you know, so that that helps as well. Uh, that was the fourth highest scoring mark by a U18 defenseman in that league's history um, and one fewer point than Roman Hammerlick, who famously went first overall. Um, and, and, you know, so that that's a pretty interesting company for Juracek. And it's, you know, we watch these guys in these tougher European leagues where it's hard for under 18 players to get games. He actually played meaningful minutes in a pro league um, where it is tough to do that. And then also, performed so admirably at the U18 Worlds when unfortunately he, you know he ends up getting injured and he didn't have any points but his impact on every single game was noticeable he skates very well he's got some physicality he's good defensively he's got a bomb of a one timer um you know you let him get it off and, and he has a chance he did play in the world juniors last season as well um expected to do the same this year and i think he's going to be a, a guy that, that that we should watch i think this year could very well be um very much more geared towards um, forwards and, and as opposed to seeing a lot of high, high-end defensemen. But there will be some, and, and there's a lot of unique defensemen. There are the guys like uh, Nemitz and, and Juracek who have played at a high level at a young age. And there's guys like Hudson who are so dynamic, but what is the size going to do for you? So there are a lot of questions left to be answered, but that's what we're going to be doing throughout the course of this season. And that's why I thought... What a way to do it. Let's let's establish the the class here. Let's establish the 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 little bit of uh, of, of a taste of of what this class means because we're only scratching the surface with the players that we've talked about today. There are a lot more, but as I mentioned, it's the Shane Wright class. But I think there's a lot of quality beneath that. I think there are players that our teams are going to get excited about, and we just hope that this season allows us to get get a chance to see them as much as possible. Of course. The main priority has to be safety, and that is what, you know, as long as we can do it safely, then by all means, let's get the season rolling. But again, it's going to be probably a year where there are going to be stops and starts, and, and, and there's a lot of fraught moments throughout the year. We hope it's not as significant as this last season. We hope there's not significant games lost. We hope no one gets sick. 
Um, you know, but there's a lot of other things that are going to be coming up really soon. As Corey mentioned, you know, Olympic qualifying is coming up. There's been some debate about who's going to be able to play. If there are any players under NHL contract, will they actually get a chance to represent their countries because of insurance issues? You know, will we have the Olympics? Will we will we have NHL players at the Olympics in Beijing? And, and, and it sounds like if you, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but Based on the reporting of the New York Times, the Beijing Olympic experience is going to be one that is very uh, controlled and and very uh, strict. And it all of a sudden, you know, the NHL players that so badly want to go after having gone through bubbles with the playoffs and having had to go through seasons where you're limiting contact with the outside world and all these other things. How many guys are going to willingly sign up for that? That's going to be a question that has to be answered before. There's also a chance for the owners they could pull the shoot essentially on the deal if they feel that it's uh, not safe for the players to go, which is a possibility. So there is all these different things that we are waiting and holding our breath on. Um, you know, the NA, Normally by this time, the, the national governing bodies will have centralized their camps. Sweden actually did it last week where they got their Olympic candidates together, um, which is, is pretty impressive usa canada has not been able to do that you know you got players on both sides of the border you got all sorts of different questions that you have to answer i haven't heard specifically about what's going to happen with that and this is specifically for the men's team because the women's teams are already you know underway in their preparations will be centralizing um when they get back from the world championship but i mean there are just so many different things that that will be trying to stay on top of on on hockey sense on talking hockey sense we'll have to have some guests that that can kind of cover that but boy there is a lot to that goes into trying to get these seasons underway trying to get the olympics underway um and we'll just keep following it as best we can and give you the latest as we can here on this podcast and also on hockey sense on substack so Thanks a lot for listening to this week's uh, this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it with with Corey Promen. We'll certainly have more episodes on the way. I'm going to take a short break. Uh, kids are getting ready to go back to school. Want to make sure we get all the activities in before uh, they head back here real soon, and and also uh, uh, getting ready for for the the season that is. There's a lot more content coming. Again, if you want to support this podcast, sub- subscribe to uh, HockeySense.Substack.com for you know sign up for a premium subscription. That certainly helps us here. Uh, it also helps if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And that I, I really appreciate those that have taken the time to do that. It, it continues to grow on a weekly basis, and, and I've been so excited to see that. So uh, please tell a friend. If you got a hockey fan out there that likes, uh, likes this kind of stuff, that really likes to get in the weeds on prospects, that likes to hear about people that work in hockey, we have a lot more guests uh, coming up uh, over the course of the, the next few months here as we get ready for what should be another wild season. But that's going to do it for now. Thanks so much for joining me on Talking Hockey Sense. My name's Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.